They asked me to do the video, but I was too busy, so I just want you to know that. Isn't that impressive how he can bend that stuff? That's crazy right there. That's definitely a pressure point, and that's the series that we're in. We're going through the book of James, and today we're going to talk about the Bible. Now, the Bible is just about everywhere, isn't it? You can't really go any place without a Bible. You probably have the Bible app on your phone, so you always have access to a Bible, and the Bible comes in all shapes and sizes and colors. You got your leather bound, you got your paperback, you got your hardcover as well, and you got the Bible in just about every hotel, everywhere you go, there pretty much is a Bible. Did you know it's the number one selling book of all time? It's true. New York Times took it off the best selling list years ago because nothing even compares to the sales of the Bible. And I'm not kidding. Last year, over 500,000 Bibles, 500 million Bibles were made in 18,000 different languages. Now, that sounds very encouraging, doesn't it? So I started looking at a survey about the Bible, and I found some encouraging things I thought you'd be excited to see. For example, are you ready for this? 91 percent of all households in the United States of America own at least one Bible. If you own a Bible, raise your hand. Play along at home. Raise your hand. Up. Yeah, that's about 91 percent. That's about right. All right, that's good. 91 percent. How about this for encouraging? 80 percent of those surveyed named the Bible as the most influential book in human history. I don't know what the other 20% were thinking, but I think that's pretty encouraging in the world that we live in today, that 80% would say the Bible is the Word of God, most influential book. How about this one? 58% believe the Bible is totally accurate in all it teaches. That is an impressive number right there. Well, you're saying to yourself, Todd, I know how you do these surveys. You give us the good stuff first, and then the bad comes. You're right, because here it comes. They continued to survey these same people, and they also found they believe these things to be true. 80% say the Bible specifically says that God helps those who help themselves. Just out of curiosity, does anybody know who made that phrase, who said that first? Anybody? Ben Franklin, very good. That's exactly who said it. You can't find this in Second Hesitations 5-6. I just want you to know that it's not in the Word of God. And people think, 80% of people think that verse is in there. But that's not what the Bible says. Do you know what the Bible says? God helps those who trust in Him. You see the difference between the two? And yet we got all these people that have a Bible, say it's the most influential book, that it's accurate in everything that it says, and they believe that that's a verse of Scripture in the Bible. Let me give you another one. 56% say a good person can earn their way into heaven. This is, this is epidemic, isn't it? It's one thing I've been trying to fight for years and years and years. You stop the typical person on the street. You say, hey, man, when you die, where are you going to go? And everybody says they're going to heaven. Nobody ever says I'm going to hell. Nobody ever says that. Oh, I'm going to heaven. Well, how do you know that you're going to heaven? And here's what they say again and again, because I'm a good person. Now, I want you to think about how crazy that statement is. How good do you think you are? You're going to stand before a holy God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, perfect in every way. Encircled around the throne are the elders and the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you think when you show up, they're going to say the same thing about you? Your holiness compared to God's holiness is but filthy rags. And if you're counting on your good works to get you to heaven, you're not going to go to heaven. 
Friends, when I go to heaven, it won't be because of my goodness or anything that I've done. It's because of what Jesus did for me. It's because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when when I stand before him and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? You know what I'm going to say? Because I trusted in you. You're my best friend. You're the lover of my soul. You died for me and you rose again. And your blood covers all my sin. And I stand here today, not on the merit of my goodness, but on your goodness and your promises and your word. Friends, listen to me. The Bible says in Matthew 7 that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't we do this? And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me. You evil and wicked person. I never knew you. So please, if you think you're going to get to heaven because you're good, you and I both know you aren't that good. But he is. And he came for you. He died for you. He rose again for you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. 56% of people think they can earn their way to heaven. No more tragic than that. Let me give you one more. 12% said that the name of Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. I just wanted to throw that one in there as well. We, we, have a, we have Christians today that are just biblically illiterate. And they don't even know what the Bible has to say. I, I, I found this this past week. There's this teacher. And she teaches the advanced students. And she was doing a course called The Bible as Literature. And she did a test with these kids. And here were some of the answers. This is the best, brightest kids we have today. Here were some of the answers they gave on the test. Eve was created from an apple. Now, come on, seriously? How about this one? Sodom and Gomorrah were lovers. That's weird because Sodom and Gomorrah were two cities. I'm not sure how you can pull that off, all right? Let me give you another one. Moses baptized Jesus. We live in a world that proclaims that the Bible is true or isn't. And they've never read it for themselves. They've never taken the time to see what the Word of God has to say about life and about living. So we have a biblically illiterate society. There was a new pastor, and uh, he came to this church, and he was so excited. But on his first Sunday, right before his big church time, they had Sunday school, and the teenage person, whoever leads the teenagers, didn't show up. So they run to the pastor. They say, hey, will you teach the teenagers? He said, sure. So he goes down. He wants to know how much they know about the Bible. So he starts off, he asks the kids a question. They're all in a little semi-circle. He says, so he says, students, who tore down the walls of Jericho? And there was a kid there. His name was Jimmy. And he felt like the preacher was eyeballing him. He said, preacher, are you asking that question because you think I had something to do with the walls of Jericho coming down? You know, preacher, one of the things you're going to learn about this place is the simple fact that anytime something goes wrong, everybody points the finger at me and my friends. But we had nothing to do with the walls of Jericho coming down. Isn't that right, guys? Like, yeah, yeah, we didn't have anything to do with the walls of Jericho coming down. And the preacher is just absolutely amazed. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. They don't know the story of when God miraculously tore down the walls of the fortified city, Jericho, giving the Israelites a victory on that day. Well, he's just blown away that they don't know anything about the Bible. So the next day, he's talking to the leaders of the church. He says, listen, I was with the teenagers the other day. And you know, they didn't know who tore down the walls of Jericho. And one of the leaders of the church said, you know what? I've known Jimmy and his friends for a long, long time. In fact, I've known them since birth. 
And if they say they didn't tear down the walls of Jericho, I believe them. I believe them. I think we should take some money out of the general fund and just rebuild those walls that were torn down. Friends, there's biblical illiteracy, isn't there? Years ago, I had the opportunity to go to this camp in Colorado. And I was the speaker of the week, and there was a bunch of teenagers that were there. A friend of mine who was a pastor asked me to come up and to do it, and so I did. And it was terrible. The camp was terrible. The beds were hard. The showers were cold. The food was terrible. We'd have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we'd have these round tables kind of served family style. And so you're sitting around a bunch of teenagers. And, and so I was just curious. You know, it's early in the week, and I'm like, I wonder what these kids know. Kind of prepare me for what I'm going to talk about that evening. And so I began to ask the kids sitting at my table a bunch of different questions. And I said, let me ask you a question. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? And they all, they all said, yeah, we know the Ten Commandments. I said, name them for me. Now, that shouldn't be too hard. Just name the Ten Commandments. You should be able to at least get thou shalt not murder, right? Because that's what I was thinking about doing to these kids. I'll tell you that right now. And they, they couldn't give me a single commandment. I said, well, you know, that's okay. I, I see you've got your Bibles there on the table. And they did. They looked all to be brand new. I don't think they were brand new, but they looked to be brand new because I don't think they were ever opened before. I said, don't worry that you don't know the Ten Commandments. Just look up in your Bible where you can find it. And so they started looking through their Bible, and, and they couldn't find it. Well, breakfast, lunch, dinner, I did this over and over and over again. I didn't find a single kid in that whole camp. There's about 100 of them that, that knew anything about the Word of God or how to answer a single question. And there was one group of kids, and I don't understand this one at all, but there was one group of kids that kept sitting at my table. I mean, are you a glutton for punishment at this point? You know what I'm going to do. And so they're sitting at my table. I think it's the fourth night. It's the last night we're going to have camp. And so I said, all right, well, you guys have had the courage to sit at my table once again. So let me ask you another question, see if you can answer it. They said, all right, we're ready for you this time. I said, great. I said, list to me the 12 disciples. Just give me the 12 disciples. Give me any name of one of the 12 disciples. And they, they couldn't do it. Now, I was shocked at this because there's a little preschool song that they should have memorized when they grew up in church, right? There were 12 disciples. Jesus called to help him. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James's brother, John. Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. There's all 12 right there. It's just a little ditty. That's all you got to memorize. That's not hard to do. Now, one of them said, well, it's Paul. And I said, no, he wasn't one of the disciples. Another one said, Moses. I said, now you're grasping for straws, aren't you? Just calling out names of anybody that you've one time heard of that's in the Bible, right? No, that's not one of the disciples. I said, but don't worry about it. Just go ahead and look in your Bible and find where the disciples are listed. It's listed in two different places. So they started looking through their Bibles. And one of the girls began to cry. And I said, what in the world? Why, why in the world are you crying? And let this be a lesson to you. If you ever have lunch or dinner with me, I might make you cry. You understand that? I said, why are you crying? And this is what she said. She said, I've gone to this church since I was a little kid, and I've had this Bible for years, and I don't know anything that it says, and I can't find a doggone thing in it. And I'm just so frustrated with myself because I should be further along than I am. How about you, friend? Do you think maybe you should be further along than you are? There was a book that came out years ago by uh, Greg Hawkins called Move. It's a boring book. It's a bunch of stats and surveys. He surveyed tens of thousands of people to find out what the number one reason for spiritual growth was. 
What was the number one factor across the board that caused people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? The results were staggering. Did you know that the the most influential thing to cause spiritual growth wasn't a sermon? I I was a little surprised at that. I mean, I, I don't understand why that wouldn't be up there on these top three. You know, it wasn't serving in a ministry. That wasn't the thing that caused people to grow closer to Jesus more than anything else. It wasn't even getting involved in a small group. You ready for what it was? It was opening up the Word of God by yourself and reading Scripture and doing it every day. The one thing that transformed these people's lives more than anything else was getting along with God and seeking His face on a day-by-day basis. And yet most people, they don't do that, do they? And they say, well, I'm so busy. I got so many things to do, so many places to go. Let's see how the typical person spends their hours per year. If you've got a job, you'll spend about 2,000 hours a year working at that job. If you go to school, it's about 1,100 hours sitting in that school. Uh, you got 3,000 hours of sleeping. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Then you have 550 hours of eating. For some of you, that's a little bit more. For some of you, it's a little bit less, okay? And then we have 1,500 hours watching TV, streaming shows, playing on our phones, doing the tiki-taki and the Instagrammy and the Snapchatty and all those wonderful things. That's how the typical person spends their hours over the course of of a year. So how much time does it take to read the Bible? Well, if you want to read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it will take you 90 hours over the course of a year or 15 minutes a day to read the entire Bible. That's it. 15 minutes. If you want to read the New Testament, it takes 20 hours or 3 minutes a day just to read the New Testament. Now, some of you believe the Bible to be the Word of God. Some of you don't. You've never taken the time to find out if it's true or not. So how in the world can you stake your eternity on that which you know nothing of? How can you be so certain that the Word of God is the authoritative Word of God when you've not read it for yourself? And how can you be so certain that it's not? When you haven't taken the time to read the Bible for yourself. Now, some of you are saying, you know what, Todd, you're right. This is ridiculous. Because some of you are 50, 60, 70 years old, and you've never read it in your entire lifetime. And yet you call yourself a fully devoted follower of Jesus. You say, you know what, you're right. This is ridiculous. I need to spend time in the Word of God. Well, you're right about that. You say, all right, how do I begin? How do I start? Well, the first thing you do is you download the Sagebrush app. And then you open up that app, and what you're going to find is a little spot at the bottom of the app that says Bible. Then you click on that little spot, and this is what's going to come up. And you're going to have the Bible here where you can look up any passage of Scripture that you want to. Then you're going to have three different reading plans. There's an Old Testament and New Testament reading plan. So if you want to go for it, friends, every day it will populate what you're going to read on that particular day. And once you've read it, it will go on to the next day. So if you want to go for it and read, it'll take you about 20, 25 minutes a day to do it. Then the other reading plan is the New Testament reading plan. And when you start that reading plan in the book of Luke, once you've read it, you hit this little green button 
And that green button will have that passage of Scripture disappear, and so you never lose your place as to where you're at. But I just put together this little story plan. I call it the story. I, I have such a hard time for people to read the Old Testament. And New, you ever said, I'm going to read the entire Bible, and then you get bogged down about Leviticus? You ever done that? Leviticus is brutal, friends. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So what I did was I picked the main passages of Scripture. Uh, and so it's now, if you do the story plan, the Bible will read like a novel. And it will be in chronological order, and you'll get an overview of the Word of God. Now, now friends, you're going to pick which one that you want to do. Now, once you've done that, the next thing you want to do is you want to get a good Bible to be able to read out of. Now, it's very important that you have a Bible that's easy to read and easy to understand. And so we recommend the New Living Translation of the Bible. And we sell Bibles at every single one of our campuses. And there's two Bibles that we recommend. One is called the Life Application Study Bible. It is a great Bible with all the study notes, everything right there in one place. And then the other Bible that we sell is called the Filament Bible. You download an app called the Filament app. Then you click on a picture of the page that you're looking at. And then what will populate are all the study notes, all the videos, all the devotionals, all the commentaries regarding that particular passage of Scripture. Now, here's what's great. We have these on sale this weekend. And in fact, they're on sale every weekend, and they're all for the same low price. Whatever we pay for on these Bibles, and we buy them in bulk so we get a good price, Amazon got nothing on us. You can pick up a Bible. We'll beat their price every single time. And then you use that reading plan, and you start immersing yourself in the Word of God. Now, to give you an idea which Bible you might want to choose, take a look at this. You have a few great options to choose from when you're trying to get the most out of your Bible. One option is the Filament Bible. The Filament Bible is both a printed and digital Bible. It offers easy reading at a bigger font size with the added bonus of more margin space to take notes. And once you download the Filament app, you will be directed to use your camera to focus in on the page you're reading. On your phone will be where all the extra study notes and videos are found. Take a look at Galatians 1 and 2. You see a section that says study, one that says reflect, and one that says see. Study stands for study notes. If you're reading a chapter from the Bible and come across a passage that doesn't quite make sense to you, or maybe you'd like a little more insight, that's when you grab your phone and open your filament app. Scan the page number that you're on and click study notes. From there, all the study notes for this chapter will come up. The reflect section is a section dedicated to devotionals. They will have to do with the passage of scripture you just read. The C section is different maps and videos that will help you understand better what you're reading. Another option to choose from is the Life Application Study Bible. This option doesn't have an app because the notes are inside the Bible at the bottom of each page. If you don't want to go from the Bible to your device and you enjoy the convenience of looking down to see what the study note says, the Life Application Study Bible might be the right Bible for you. In every Bible, at the beginning of each book, there's an introduction page that tells you who wrote the book, why they wrote the book, when they wrote the book, and what the main theme or themes the book has. There's also an outline of the book. In addition, there are maps and charts to help make the Bible come alive right on the page. In the back of every Bible, there's a section called the concordance. A concordance is an alphabetical list of words. 
If you want to know what God's Word says about marriage, just go to the back and look up that specific word in the concordance, and under that word would be a list of verse references that you could look up to see what God's Word says about that specific topic. Start getting the most out of your Bible. Be sure to check out the Filament Bible or the Life Application Study Bible. Both are great options for you to continue to unpack and really understand the Bible. So you, you got to read the Word of God. you got to read the Word of God. And you got to read it every Every single day. This is a necessity. You, you, you signed up when you gave your life to Jesus to be in a relationship with him. How can you be in a relationship with someone you never talked to and someone who never talks back to you? So we talk to God through prayer. How does God talk back to us? He does it through his holy word. So James is concerned about his people. Remember, they've been persecuted. They're scattered. He says, listen, cling to the word of God. Study the word of God. Memorize the word of God. And this is what he says. He said, and this is how I want you to approach God's word. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you. Now, what does that mean? It means we come to the word of God with an open heart, with open hands. And we say, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. Whatever you want to reveal to me, whatever you want to show me, whatever I need to change, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. I want to be molded and shaped to be more and more like you. So we come to the word of God humbly asking God to speak to us through his word. Do you find it interesting that there are times in life when people can come to church, two people can come to church, and one leaves blown away like, oh man, God just spoke to me in that moment, and the other person leaves like they were bored to death? You ever notice that? A couple of weeks ago, it was at one of our multi-sites, we had a guy who got up and left right in the middle of my message, and uh, he, he walked out, and he was just not happy at all, and he, and he said to one of the guest service folks, he says, I'm not coming back here, that guy's too entertaining. That's what he said, I'm too entertaining, I've never been, I've never been called too entertaining before, that was kind of, I guess I wasn't boring enough for him, I don't know what that was, I've been called too good looking, I've been called that a couple of times, but, but never, never too entertaining, so he got up and he left. Well, his brother stayed. That was the day we had an altar call. His brother gave his life to Jesus Christ. He had two people, same room, hearing the same exact message. One had a hard heart, and one had a soft heart. So we come here, and we open up the Word of God, and we say, God, whatever you want. Whatever you want to reveal to me, whatever you want to challenge me with, whatever changes my way of thinking, I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not here to ignore you. I'm here to do your word, to live out your word. And I guess this wasn't happening during James' time, because look at what he says here. He says, don't merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. This is going to absolutely shock you, but there was a time, I guess, when people would come to church, and they would listen to the preacher, and then three days later, they'd forget pretty much everything that he said. I know it's as shocking to you as it is to me. Do you do that? Friends, why do we do sermon-based small groups in our church? Because we know you're going to forget this message. But when you show up to your small group, what's it do? It repeats it. It talks about, you sit down and you talk about, you flesh out what we just learned that weekend. Because what gets repeated gets retained, doesn't it? Why is it that all the devotionals that we have on the Sagebrush app go back to the sermon-based, the stuff that I talked about on the weekend? Because we're trying to repeat it again and again and again. Because what gets repeated gets retained. Let me ask you a question. How did you learn the alphabet? How do you know A, B, C, D, E, F, G? How do you know that? 
Because you probably had a teacher that beat that into you day after day after day after day. You probably learned that silly little song, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And that helped you. You did it again and again and again. How do you know your times tables? How do you know that? Let's just see if you do. Play along at home, play along in the room. I'm going to give you a math fact, and you give me what the answer is. Sound good? Eight times eight. Okay, 64. Some of you are like, uh. Seven times seven. Six times six. Five times seven. How'd you know that? How'd you know it's so quick? Because every young teenager is like, how'd they know all that? I didn't know any of that. I got this calculator right here. I'm going to work on it on my own. How do, you, how do you know your math facts? Because they drilled them in us. Remember those little drills you would have and everybody line up and you have a little competition between each other and you wanted to get those math facts down. Remember all those flashcards that you went through? What happens here, friends? What gets repeated gets retained. So what, what does he say here? He says, well, well, don't merely just listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. What, what James is trying to say here is, is the Bible wasn't given to us for information purposes. The Bible was given to us for transformation purposes. To transform our minds, to transform our thinking, to transform our worldview. It was to make us more and more like Jesus. So that's the question you got to ask yourself. For those of you who know a lot about the Word of God, is it really making you more and more like Jesus? A lot of you know the Word of God fairly well, right? In fact, some of you would puff your chest out and say, you know, I'm pretty good with the Word of God. And I know the Word of God probably, I don't know, 10 times better than the average person. I think that's great. Are you studying the Word of God just for information or for transformation? Because if you know 10 times more about the Word of God than the average person does, then you should be 10 times more loving than the average person. Are you that? You 10 times more patient? You 10 times more joyful? You 10 times more ready to forgive someone else for when they hurt you? Do you share your faith in Jesus Christ 10 times more than the average person? You see, here's the problem. If all you do is you open up the Bible for information and you never apply it, you're missing out on what God wants to do in your life and the person that he desires for you to become. Look at what he says here. He says, don't really listen to the word and deceive yourselves. That word listen means to audit. Don't merely audit the Word of God. What does that mean? It means we pick and we choose what we like in God's Word, and then we ignore the stuff that we don't like in God's Word. Let let, let me give you an example of this. There's lots of passages of Scripture that I love in the Bible. I love for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I love that verse of Scripture. But then later on, you know, like in, I think it's in Luke's gospel. He says, oh, here it is. If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. Well, I don't really like that particular verse, so let's just rip that right out. Have I got your attention? I, I like this verse over here in Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I love that. But over here in Philippians, it says, do everything without complaining or arguing. I think that's stupid right there. I don't want that one either. 
I like over here in 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love is patient and love is kind. But back here in Matthew, I'm really not a fan of if anyone looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery with her. So let's just rip that one out too. And how about this one over here in, you should see your faces. Over here in Proverbs, it says, wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler. Whoever's led astray by them is not wise. Well, who likes that one as well? Did that bug you what I just did? Well, this isn't a Bible. I would never disrespect the word of God. This is some devotional I bought for five bucks. Do you disrespect the word of God by ignoring it? Has it changed your worldview? Does the word of God, the true north, that tells you what sin is? Or is culture telling you what is and isn't sin? Is the word of God the word of God? You see, we audit the word of God. We focus on the verses that we love. And then the ones that challenge our way of thinking, the ones that challenge the way we're living our life, well, we want to rip those out, don't we? And we might not rip it out physically like I just did in this book, but we rip it out and we ignore it and we say, I don't want anything to do with that passage of Scripture. Friends, you're never going to become the person that God wants you to become if you audit the Word of God, if you pick and choose what you're going to obey and ignore what you're not going to obey. We come to the Word of God humbly. God, here I am, and I'm a mess, and you're my guide, and you're my Lord, you're my boss, you're my ruler, and whatever you say goes. And so I want to think the thoughts of God. I want to do the things that God would do, so show me, reveal to me, so I can be the person that I need to be. You can't do that apart from spending time with God on a daily basis. And then he says this. He says, reflect on what God's word says. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, immediately goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So what was he saying here? He says, God's word is like a mirror. And what's the purpose of a mirror? It's to assess the damage that was done while you slept, right? That's the way that is. To see the decay that happened overnight. So you kind of walk in, stumbling in the bathroom. You look in the mirror and you're like, oh, man, my hair is a mess. I need to blow my nose. I got a zit over here. I need to pop. Some of you just look in the mirror and you begin to cry. That's what you do right now. That's what you do. I got to fix all this, I tell you what. Well, a mirror reflects what we look like on the outside. God's word reflects like what we are on the inside. And who wants to do that? These are the things we try to hide. These are the things we don't want to deal with. These are the things that we hope will just naturally just go away. But to look on the inside and say, Lord, is there any wicked way within me? Is there any sin in my life? Anything that I'm holding on to that's not pleasing in your sight? Because I don't know about you, but there's issues inside of me. Some of us, we have hatred inside of us. We have racism and prejudice inside of us. Some of us have a, a sin that we somehow justified or rationalized in our mind as being right, even though God's word says it's wrong, it's sin, and it's going to destroy you. Some of us have unforgiveness in our heart, and you just don't want to deal with it. And so what do you do? You just push it away. 
That's why he continues in verse 25 and says, the man who looks intently into the perfect law. The word look here in the Greek means to stoop down and to gaze in. Two different ways that you can look in a mirror, right? You can, you can glance at a mirror or you can gaze at a mirror. And every one of us has, has done both, right? So you're walking by at the mall or someplace, you know, and they got a mirror, maybe you're trying on some shoes or something, you're kind of checking yourself, and you kind of glance and kind of look at you. But a glance doesn't help you, does it? You know, it doesn't tell you what's really wrong with you. But when you gaze in the mirror, then you can see some things that need adjustment. You see some things that need to be done. Well, here's what most people do with the Word of God. When they do read it, which is rare, they glance at it. They try to read it as quickly as they can. They try to get through it as fast as they can with no intention of applying it to their life. And and, and James says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't glance at the Word of God. You gaze at the Word of God. And he says this, and continues to do so. That means over and over and over again. Verse 25, he says, not forgetting what he has heard. What is this talking about? He's talking about internalizing Scripture in your heart and in your soul. He's talking about memorizing the Word of God. I, I read the Gospel of Matthew, and I, and I marked down every time Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. You ready for this? It's 30 times in 28 chapters. Jesus internalized the Word of God. When, when he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights from Satan, what, what did he use to combat Satan? He used the Word of God. Look at what the psalmist says here. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, I know what people are saying. They're saying, well, I've, tried, I've tried before. I can't memorize Scripture. You sure about that? Let's say next weekend in the foyer, I got a, a boatload of cash. And I say to you, I know, if you find me in the foyer next week with my boatload of cash, for every verse of Scripture you have memorized, I will pay you $1,000. How many verses of Scripture would you get memorized this week? thousand bucks a pop. You'd take it a lot more seriously, wouldn't you? You see, the problem isn't that you can't memorize Scripture. The problem is we don't find value in it. And yet I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I would think that that would be pretty valuable, don't you think? Friends, what the mind repeats, it retains. And then he concludes this section to see if we really are someone who's hidden God's word in our heart. He gives us a test. Let's see if you can take it, see if you pass. Verse 26, he says, one of the ways you know that you're a doer of the word of God is you have a controlled mouth. If anyone considers himself religious and doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So one of the ways you can know if you're a doer of the word of God is you have set a guard over your mouth that you may not sin against him. You meditate upon the word of God and you say, may the words of my mouth and the, and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Is your mouth under control? Or are you using God's name in vain? Or are you cursing and using sarcasm and just terrible things come out of your mouth that wound other people? That would say you're probably not in the word of God. You're not a doer of the word of God. Let me give you another one. A caring heart. Religion that God our Father accepts as faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. 
So you know you're a doer of the word of God if you're the kind of person who sees a need and you meet the need. So no matter what room you're in, you see the need, you meet the need, you become the hands and feet of Jesus. That's someone who's the doer of the word of God. Then he gives a third one. It's a clean mind. He says to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So we fill our minds with things that are excellent and praiseworthy. We think about things that are godly. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we run the race that he has set out before us in such a way as to win the prize. We live for him and for him alone. So do you know the word of God? Do you live the Word of God, you have on your phone or in your possession a Bible. You have all 66 books. Do you realize you're one of the rare generations to have all 66 books? So many generations of people long to have what you have. They long to have the totality of the Word of God. What are you going to do with it? You're going to ignore it? Are you going to study it, come humbly to it and say, oh God, please speak to me. I need direction. And what you say goes. That's when you're a doer of the word of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need this so badly, so desperately. We live in a world that doesn't even understand what your word has to say. And then we'll go on. Twitter or we'll go on social media and we'll proclaim something that goes directly opposite of what your word says because we don't know your word and Lord we think that coming here and listening to me and then forgetting about everything I said three days later is somehow going to transform us Lord reveal to us there's no shortcut to intimacy with you it's time spent Seeking your face. It's putting in the sweat equity of turning one page after another and allowing your word to soak into our souls. To no longer argue with you, but just be willing to surrender to your will because your plan and your purpose is far greater than anything we could dream or imagine. So Lord, for anybody who's just been playing games with all this, And their souls are empty. And sin is winning the day. And they keep going back and returning to the things they promised themselves they wouldn't return to. God, I pray that they'd seek your face. And they'd seek your word. And you would speak to us. Your word is living and active. Sharp and a double-edged sword. I pray that those words would fly off the page. They would tell us exactly what we need, what we need to do, that we'd be obedient to follow through. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.